Hello, and welcome to another episode of our 20-Minute Playbook series, where each week we sit down with an elite performer from iconic founders to world-renowned investors and best-selling authors to dive into the ideas, frameworks, and strategies that got them to the top of their field, all in less than 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I sit down with Andrew Jameson, co-founder and CEO of Extend, which is the world's first virtual card platform that works with every card issuer. Before co-founding Extend, Andrew worked as a vice president at American Express for over 12 years. In this episode, we cover why Andrew's a reluctant entrepreneur and how growing up in a family of entrepreneurs shaped his approach to building Extend. Why he goes running daily and always packs a pair of trainers in his bag when traveling. How he manages his time and approaches leading the team at Extend. And the wisdom he'd whisper in his ear if he could go back and visit himself when he was 20. You can find the notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 103. You can find Extend on Twitter at paywithextend and online at paywithextend.com. With that, let's dive into Andrew Jameson's playbook. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on 20 Minute Playbook. I'm really excited to have you back on. No, absolutely. Looking forward to this section. So... I want to start with a story that you shared with me when we were doing our first prep call around the fact that you're a reluctant entrepreneur and, you know, the the fact that you spent a lot of time with a dad who was an entrepreneur growing up and how that maybe dissuaded you from doing it for a long period of time. Talk a little bit about that experience growing up and, and why you were a reluctant entrepreneur. Yeah, so it turns out all the things I wager against end up happening to me. I, I wagered that I would never move to the US. I'm in the US, have been for the last 16 years. And I wagered I would never be an entrepreneur for very, very different reasons. But yeah, no, I, I look, I saw firsthand what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And this was in a different setting. It was, it was shelving equipment. So we're in a warehouse. We're packing boxes and putting labels and canning screws. And when I tell this story, my sisters will be laughing remembering this. And we did it with my aunt and uncle because he created the company with his brother. And and I was like, that looks like an absolute nightmare. When I looked across the aisle at my other uncle, who was working in pharma and, and sort of ended up sort of working for Roche and, and doing really well. And I was like, I think I prefer his life, right? Where he's sort of flying business class and, and doing all these different things, you know, versus, uh, and his kids didn't seem to be counting screws and shelves and labeling boxes. But I guess, look, it's super formative, right? You sort of lean in and you get cracking because you realize you're not getting out of there until you get it done. So it was kind of like, all right, let's do this. Roll up your sleeves. Let's go. And actually, out of it, obviously, you create a really strong family spirit because the fun afterwards, like, you'd take us out for dinner and we'd have a massive you know, fun dinner and do all these different things. But again, completely different. But I was like, that doesn't seem like the journey, which is why I started my career in consulting and went to another big blue chip company called Amex. And I was like, yeah, this is this is more like what my uncle was doing. And lo and behold, I slipped down the slide and went down the entrepreneurial path eventually. Yeah, you did. (laughs) And so I want to ask one more question because obviously we just did an in-depth interview, uh, a Founder Spotlight episode all around the company you're building now, which is called Extend, which does virtual, uh, basically is a virtual card uh, provider. It can layer on top of any physical card. The question that I wanted to ask you was, how did this kind of background in being a self-labeled reluctant entrepreneur shape your decision to start Extend and your approach to founding and building the company? And maybe it's nothing more than just you said no for a long time and you finally say say yes <laughs> guessing there's maybe more to it no i think it's also it's also about is there a good idea out there and that for me was was one of the founding things is, is there a good idea and can you get people to follow you uh, to doing it because i was never going to be i think someone who's going to go and create a company all on their own I, I just thought thought that was just too daunting 
and I was really lucky in a way, you know, the, the, on the one hand, one of my co-founders, Danny, we were at a barbecue and he's like, that sounds like a great idea. And I'm like, hang on, he's Finn, I'm tech, so we can do this. And then we started sort of putting our plans together and we're sort of bashing our heads in the wall, trying to figure out how we're going to present this concept as we went to Money 2020. And, and lo and behold, Guillaume, the third co-founder, steps in to this co-working space we were operating out of. And he's, you know, former strategist and, and was sort of like, well, let me help you guys. Don't worry, let's do this. And before you know it, he's knee deep in this, even though his wife has said, you are not allowed to become an entrepreneur. He was a sole breadwinner in his family, right? It's not made for entrepreneurship at, at the ripe old age of 40 with three kids in private schooling. But again, uh, just amazing in my mind, right? What it is with three people, completely different skill sets. We're not stepping on each other's toes at all. And that I found really invigorating, which was sort of like, it was so crystal clear what each and everyone had to do. And we were just a really good, right, solid stool. My boss always said, you need to have a solid stool, right? The pillars of, of that have, have to have a strong foundation. And that's what we had, right? And then the platform became Extend. And that's, that's really what's allowed us, I think, certainly to be successful right, in the early days, right, before we started to hire the team. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of it's maybe just having a much higher bar <laughs> for when you're willing to decide to jump in and actually become an entrepreneur. I, I want to switch tracks and talk about, you know, focus, prioritization, time management. You know, as a founder, there's always more to do than you have time in a day, which I'm sure you feel every day. <laughs> How do you manage that? Uh, do you have a system for it? And, you know, can you talk, I guess, just at a super high level around how you emotionally, mentally keep yourself above the stress, if that's even possible? <laughs> Uh, so for me, the stress part's actually uh, strangely easy, and I've always relied on it throughout my life, which is to go running. So for me, that that part of me as a consultant, I always pack trainers. When I travel with Amex, I always pack trainers. When I travel today, I'll always pack trainers because I always felt that that was the one thing that allowed me to sort of you know truly release the tension. And I, you know, you think about different things, and, and running in York's great because you see so many different things. You run down the West Side Highway, you're like, holy smokes, uh, and it distracts you pretty damn quickly. So it allows you to sort of to free that up. I think, again, going back to, I don't think me individually, I would have been a great entrepreneur. It, it's having a good team. Like Guillaume is so incredibly organized and so driven, right, to break things down into individual tasks. So, so I knew from an operations perspective, I wouldn't have to fail there, which is what I feel I would have done. So Danny's a, bit, a little bit different because, you know, I was in product. And so you would have thought, well, there's an overlap there. Surely, right, you're in product, he's in product. He just was so much more on the consumer side of product. I was a bit like, well, I can't even even think that way. I'll just tell him how I think about business, but you tell me what the experience should be. So that was super easy as well. And so for me, it was actually my primary focus really became business development and then fundraising. Right? My job is, is really to engage with the card networks, engage with the card processors, engage with, with, the, with the issuing banks. And that's the role which I actually felt very comfortable doing because I'd sort of done it in pre-sales with SAP and done a lot of pre-sales inside of Amex. So I was kind of in my swim lane. And so then it was all about, you know, there's a big social aspect to it and I'm reasonably outgoing. Uh, and so from that perspective, I was kind of like, okay, this is something I can do. I've never been a salesperson with a sales target, but these were, these were really strategic sales. So it's a relationship, not a sale. And so that bit I felt, I felt very good with, right? I, I feel that's one thing I've enjoyed doing is building relationships. And so that that was that felt good. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that, because one of the unique things that we didn't touch on in the previous interview was around just the unique nature of selling into large financial institutions. And you've spent a lot of time, you know, doing that, as you said, not with a you know particular or exact sales label. 
But what's unique about that and what are some of the skills that are important in doing that? And maybe just talk a little bit about the speed, the pace. Yeah, so I think one of the things that, that you have to, to recognize is big financial institutions have a short and, a list of goals, right, that they can go and pursue in any given year. And so, so number one is, like, okay, how do I ladder up to one of those? Because I'm not going to create a new item on the list. That's for next year. That's an 18-month project. So how do you create something that's already on the list and repurpose what you're doing into one of those into one of those items? And then the other things we learned very quickly was you better make damn sure that your tech is plug and play. If, the, if, if a financial institution... Your card network or processor has to do any tech work, you can guarantee you're not 18 months down the line, you're three years down the line because they have lists, right? Longer than both their arms of, of things they need to get done. So it's like you got to find a way of being plug and play. And then the second piece was get over the second hurdle, which is a contractual piece, right? Which can take two years, like sort of talked about in the earlier episode. How do you shrink that down to a couple of months so that you take away that fear factor in that piece? And I think the last piece is, is, you know, we've hit the market at the right time, right? Timing is everything with these companies, right? When I first started talking about virtual cars back in 2008-9, you'd find at a conference, maybe one little side room where people are talking about it. I just came out from this conference in London. I, I think there wasn't a single session where virtual cars didn't come up as a topic because this concept of digital issuance is at the heart of everything today. And people are thinking about from the application process to receiving your actual funding account to then creating all these digital accounts. It's all kind of one digital path. And so we're at the kernel of what that is, right? How do you create from that one account thousands of potential other accounts that, that flow off it? And so it's, you've got to be at the right time, right place. So there's an element of luck in there and, and then judgment as to when you want to go and create, create that business. And, and all these things have got to come together, right? There's no one success factor there, but but certainly engaging with the banks and, and knowing what their priorities was. I think probably the, the biggest scary part was that we'd initially thought this was really going to help with contractors and employees who didn't have cars. And then COVID hit. And you still sit there going, well, all the contractors got fired really quickly. No one's traveling. And you're sort of like, well, what the hell do we do now with this business? And that's just, again, where you start to very quickly understand what are the next set of problems that occurred. And what happened is the whole workforce got distributed instantly. And so you had an even greater need, as it turns out, not for travel, but for things like, you know, subscriptions and for paying suppliers and for, you know, people, you know, embedding payments into, into other services that they were offering and where they could do it centrally in the office. Now they can't. And so you had to reinvent yourself in the moment. And funny enough, we unearthed a much bigger opportunity than what the first one was. Tailspend has been a nightmare for, for decades. In fact, that was my first project with SAP was... Help us understand how we can better manage one-time vendors in SAP. And here I am, you know, 30-odd years later, and like, yeah, it's still pretty bad. And so virtual cards are a great tool to help in that journey. So it's, it's almost full circle. First project, first startup, we're back to solving for these, uh, you know, one-time uh, suppliers or suppliers where you contract right fairly infrequently with them. Yeah, like a lot in life, just complete full circle, complete round trip. You know, as a reluctant uh, founder, you know, so you then start with two wonderful partners, Extend, with two, two co-founders. Were there any books that were instrumental for you guys? And this could be you individually, just, you know, anything that had principles that really spoke to you that, you know, you put to use building Extend, anything that you shared or asked employees in the company to read, anything that you and your co-founders read. Is there anything kind of in that regard? <laughs> so I can hear my wife, you know, figuratively laughing over, the, over my shoulder saying, what are you talking about? Andrew doesn't read. 
I read the FT a lot, but I do also listen a lot. And I take a lot out of uh, the, the different leadership courses that, I, that I've had right over, over my time. And yeah, I also read sort of white papers or Harvard Business Reviews or, or those kind of things, right, which are little sort of sound bites where I can actually walk away and remember it. You know, it's the, the, the challenge when you read a book is by the end of it, you're like, hang on, what were the three really interesting lessons that were supposed to get out of it? So I'm much more into reading like little sound bites of things that I can absorb very quickly and, and churn out the other side really quickly. I have a stack of books that I've been meaning to read. I read a few books between, you know, Amex and starting the company. Uh, and there are a few, and unfortunately, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember. There's a couple that I really liked and they've completely um, escaped me. Um, if you think of them, email me and I'll add them to the show notes. <laughs> brilliant. There you go. Because no, I, look, I think that's the thing. You need time. And for me, relaxing is 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 mostly being going, going for runs or spending time with the family or, or you know, watching a, a Netflix series is kind of what I do. I, you know, sort of, I need to decompress with, with, with different senses. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. And I love the way you describe white papers as, you know, tiny, actionable, something you can churn and immediately put to use because I relate with that a, a lot. And I think if I'm, which is why I way too infrequently read fiction books, because I'm just like, what's the point? <laughs> Even if I'm enjoying this sto- the story. Like, I'd love to say I'm much more intelligent, right? By, by claiming that, you know, I'm really into reading like some like, philosophical books. I just, you know, at the end of the day. Just Financial Times. Just Financial Times and maybe a couple Harvard Business Reviews. And, and you're good to go. You're good to go. Are there any thinkers or founders or executives that you draw on for inspiration or that you've drawn on for inspiration building extend? Again, I, I take it from a lot of my own experience firsthand. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to some extent you look at, at some of these founders and then you discover many years later that they're not really who you thought they were. So I've tended to rely more and more on, on kind of my own life experience. And I was actually meeting with one of these uh, individuals who's, who's a mentor of mine who helped set up this company where we were working alongside SAP called Druid back in the day, a gentleman by the name of Nick Keating. And again, for me, that the key part is he was all about creating uh, these high-performing teams. And really, it was all about, you know, if you're stuck in an airport with someone for six hours, are you going to survive? And if you are, then, then you've probably found someone who's really good. I'm going to assume you're smart enough because you went to a good school and, and, and all those things. He was much more focused on on actually, are you going to be cohesive as individuals? And so for me, that was really instrumental as I thought about teams. I took a huge learning from him and he, and he made work fun, right? We, we all knew at the time we we're working 14 to 16 hour days and you knew you had to have a fun decompression piece. And he had a, he had a flair for, for the amusing as we went out after, after work and even during work, right? He, he had a very good sense. And then from a people perspective, and I, this wouldn't be a surprise, to, I think, to anybody who's uh, certainly worked at American Express, right? Ken Chenault was, was truly an inspirational leader on so many different levels. He did so many things that, frankly, companies are only just catching up to today, right? Which is, you know, what's the percentage of leaders that are women on your team, right? How much diversity do you have on your team, right? And it was linked to our financial goals, right? 25% of our bonus was linked to, did you meet those criteria? That's serious skin in the game, which obviously improves the odds it's going to happen. <laughs> and that, that's right. And, and his view was, you know, unless we put in sort of this, some of these positive affirmation pieces, right, we're all going to sit there and not do anything about it. And, and so it has continued right inside of, of the company with, with Steve Squirry now. And I think it's ingrained in the leadership, right, that it's upon us to act, to create right, a more equitable place at work. So that becomes an important part of it. And, and actually, it's funny, we had, we had um, International Women's Day 
and I think we quickly realized that 40% of the employees, 42%, I think, were women. Our chief product officer is, is, uh, is Orna Albers. Um, you know, our chief people officer uh, is someone who used to work with my wife at the Brooklyn Nets. And so, again, we've brought people into leadership. And, and again, I'm, I'm constantly asking people to hold us accountable, not just for who we employ, the type of business that we do as well. Are there any business construct that people aren't comfortable with? And again, I've found that the team has a really strong voice. And, and I think that's because we've laid, layered that trust in there and we're all trying to do the right thing. But that's what, where I've taken my inspiration from, probably more so than, yeah, sure, you could sort of lean in and say, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, it's amazing. You know, the Oracle Omaha, he works like he's, you know, 90 or worked till he's 130 if he lives that long. You know, on the other hand, you could say, you know, Bill Gates and you could say all these different people. But the reality is I, I feel it's more powerful because it's people I've worked with and I truly understand what, what those values really are. And so I can more easily embody them and really uh, impart them, I think, onto others versus people who, I, who, who, who again, invariably over time will, will somehow disappoint us. Yeah, that you think you know at a distance. <laughs> it's, much, it's much different when you work with someone like in that example, 14 to 16 hour days. If you work with a leader who's inspirational and you work together that much time, that is truly extraordinary. <laughs> it's a truly extraordinary person. <laughs> I think there's a lot to learn there. But I think reminding people, and that, that's, that's one of the things which is interesting in the US, right? People take themselves quite seriously as a general rule. And I, you know, the, the, one of the skills that Brits have is, is to be very self-deprecating. But, and sometimes that doesn't gel, right? Because people are like, are you serious? You're not serious. And I'm a bit like, no, the whole point is, guys, is, is we should be able to have fun, make fun of ourselves first, right? Which then gives us the ability to lean in and create a bit of a comic moment across, across the board, right? So it's, it's, that's one of those things which you want to impart on people is we work really hard, but, but we've got to be have fun at the same time. I mean, that's, that's just the reality. Yeah. We're only here for, you know, as many years as we're here. So let's let's not make them duller than they need to be. That's exactly right. <laughs> I want to ask a question around success. And, you know, you're someone who seems very principled in the way that you think. And, you know, the the typical way I would ask this question is much more kind of personally, like, how do you define success today? How has that definition changed over time? I'd be curious to hear your answer around extend and what success looks like for extend. I'm guessing that that will change over time. But what are your thoughts building a company that you've obviously invested an enormous amount of your own life, you know, your founders as well, your team as well into what does success look like? And how do you think about that and talk about that as a company? So for me, success is, is I, I really define it as, as standing a company up that, that stands on its own two feet, that's not reliant on, on venture funding, that's not reliant on external forces and factors, right? It's can you truly build a standalone business, right, in collaboration with, with partners, right? That, that to me is number one, is that I define it as a, as a huge success for the company as a whole. Then I think that the success goes back to Again, the type of team and culture that you go and create inside of the company. And again, I, we're only on this earth for as long as we are. And so I'm keen to create the right culture, the right uh, level of serious and, and comic mixes that come into there. But, but also, right, it's, for me, success is, is really about how you're willing to take risks on people, how you're willing to empower people. Because I feel that in a lot of bigger companies, right, you, you run through a process. It's almost like you've been here two years, you should be this. You've been here for four years, you should be that, right? And, it's, and some people don't quite make it because they don't have the social piece or they don't have this and that. So it's quite liberating to be able to create a culture here where we get to choose, right, the, how we want to play that game. And hopefully, right, we right-size things relative to what a small company looks like. But, but ultimately, like all of these companies, it's about the people. So if your success ain't about 
the people that are the motor behind the engine. I might be the voice piece that's out there. But ultimately, I think I'm judged on success is, is how does the team feel about the business? How does the fee- team feel about the direction we're going in? And therefore, attrition and all those things to me matter a lot because it really starts to sort of talk very openly as to the type of culture you've created as a, as a company. And clearly, for me, that's the important part. Because, again, I think as you get older, financial matters matter less and less. Right. I think that's just the, the I don't know, that's been my experience as I've spoken to a lot of my friends recently is, you know, it's you're much more focused on your family. You're much more focused on on making sure that those pieces of the pie and, and you're not chasing, you know, keeping up with the Joneses of did you buy this or did you buy not? You must just focus on consumerism. And so for me, that's that's the piece that gets me more and more excited. And that, don't get me wrong. Right? I have you know, financial needs. I want to make sure my kids are well taken care of. But the end game for me is not any sort of massive financial outcome in this, right? It's, it's about creating a company that, that creates the right level of returns and, and empowers people to, to go on to do great things. Feels like a lot of it's around what's truly durable as opposed to what, you know, I think with money, you can come up with a, a nice bank account. I, I, but I don't think at a, at a certain point, you know, just working towards more and more and more makes no sense. And I think, you know, it sounds like your focus, what you're focused on in your team is much more of the durable things that are truly built to last, which is do we enjoy working together? Are we having an impact on the world? Well, I think the other thing is like the, the thing is I also have my career, in, you know, in my own hands. That's another big, important thing. You know, I reach you know 50 and and so you know in, in larger companies you start to feel like maybe you won't get to control your destiny so i, I feel as there's, there's an element there that's quite satisfying too is is like hopefully you get to a place where you get to choose you know the, the path and direction you want to take and, and where you get to, to step off the gas and do all these different things so there's a there's definitely a selfish bit in there as well no, 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 no. But it's a selfish bit. But, it, you know, I think to say it another way, it's like you're finally handed the pen to your story. And it's like, here you go. Your turn, your turn, your turn to figure out what to write and what to write next. Yep, no, that's very true. Thank you so much for joining me on 20 Minute Playbook. It's been a joy to have you on, Andrew. I really appreciate it. No, cheers. Cheers, Daniel. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to everything we discussed, as well as the notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 103. For more from Andrew, listen to episode 100, where he joins me on our Founder Spotlight series to go deep on Extend, the world's first virtual card platform that works with every single card issuer. In that episode, we explore why tokenizing a physical card into many different virtual cards for specific people on your team or departments at your company unlocks a lot, including a much better understanding of who spent what, which makes accounting and running a business so much easier. You can now also find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlier academy. On our channel, you'll find all of our full-length interviews, including the video version, as well as our favorite short clips from every episode, including this one. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right here next week on Outlier Academy.